It's Thursday, August 29th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, we're diving into the brand new United States Space Command. We'll connect the dots on why this might not be the Space Force you were looking for and what this could mean for the militarization of space. Then, an investigation is underway as more and more people are getting sick after vaping. We'll give you the details. And finally, we check in on the status of the fires in the Amazon rainforest. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. The most complicated story today is about space. Specifically, the brand new U.S. Space Command. It's a military combatant command that was stood up today at the White House. In military lingo, stood up means it got launched. Not that its date didn't show up. Here's President Trump making the announcement this afternoon. The dangers to our country constantly evolve, and so must we. Now, those who wish to harm the United States to seek to challenge us in the ultimate high ground of space, it's going to be a whole different ballgame. So today we're going to get into what standing up a space command really means, what are the arguments for creating it, and some pros and cons. First of all, what's a combatant command? Combatant commands are focused either on geographic regions or a specific type of mission. There's one for Africa, AFRICOM, and a cyber command for fighting digital threats, CYBERCOM. You get the point. The Pentagon has 10 of them already. So what's this new command supposed to do? A lot is still up in the air, but here's what we do know. It will be led by four-star Air Force General John Raymond. And for now, it'll be run out of Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado Springs. But because it's a unified combatant command, it will include forces from all military services. And President Trump said today, this is just the start. With today's action, we open another great chapter in the extraordinary history of the United States military. Spacecom will ensure that America's dominance in space is never questioned and never threatened because we know the best way to prevent conflict is to prepare for victory. We don't know yet how big Spacecom will be, but it's got a pretty big mission. Deterring conflict, defending U.S. interests, delivering space combat power, and developing ready and lethal joint warfighters. And like we said, U.S. Space Command is being set up as a combatant command, meaning it can take on combat roles. That's important because the Air Force already has another Space Command that's mostly just for training. The administration says this new command is a first step towards something bigger, a whole new branch of the military, a U.S. Space Force. Trump first announced this idea last year. You know, I was saying it the other day because we're doing a tremendous amount of work in space. I said, maybe we need a new force. We'll call it the Space Force. And I was not really serious. And then I said, what a great idea. Maybe we'll have to do that. The reaction to that announcement was confusion. Reporters weren't sure if they should take Trump seriously. Turns out, he was serious. The Republican-controlled Senate and Democratic-controlled House are still debating what powers to give a possible space force. So for now, starting today, we're getting a first step, a U.S. Space Command. So what's the argument for getting the U.S. military into space? One common reason is that Russia and China already have space forces, and the U.S. needs to be ready to defend against any possible threats. In fact, even France created a space force this year, and India is reportedly finalizing plans for one too. 
Remember, we're not talking about SpaceX rockets here or space tourism. This is about military activity. In the last few years, both China and India tested missiles capable of destroying satellites in space. And all of this is a worry for the U.S., which has so many satellites that are really important for U.S. defense. Some of the other weapons rolling out in space sound like science fiction, but they're not. One policy expert notes that within a few years, the U.S., China, and Russia will send up worker bee satellites that can fix or disable other satellites. Other space weapons are called kamikaze satellites, which could be used to crash into and destroy other satellites. And space-based laser weapons could be used to attack missiles or other targets on the ground. So the U.S. is basically saying, with all those risks out there, we should be more out there too. But not everyone thinks this is a good idea. Some experts say, rather than chasing to build these weapons ourselves, we should focus on defense, or ways to demilitarize space and lower the potential for conflict. Another criticism is over money. As in, if the Pentagon's proposed $738 billion budget for next year scares you, just wait till the military tries adding another service branch. Others argue that, given how much money U.S. companies are making in space, Space Force should take on the added role of regulating commerce in space so that it remains a place that's good for business. So what's the skim? The U.S. Space Command blasted off today, but we're still not exactly sure where it's heading. This Space Command could one day end up as the sixth branch of the U.S. military, even if details about its mission, budget, size, and who will run it in the long term are still TBD. What we can say, though, is that as the U.S. beefs up its military capabilities in space, the whole world will be watching and weighing in. Even during the Cold War, when the U.S. and Soviet Union were trying to get their astronauts to space first, they signed a treaty saying outer space should be developed peacefully and for the benefit of all nations. The question now is whether Spacecom is one giant step further in that direction. You may have seen a lot of headlines lately about vaping, aka when you inhale a vapor through an electronic cigarette or some other device that can sometimes look like a USB drive. The legal kind usually contains nicotine, and e-cigarettes are often marketed as less harmful alternatives to smoking regular cigarettes. But over the last few weeks, there have been a bunch of reports from across the U.S. that people are getting sick after using them. Since June, officials from 22 states have reported nearly 200 cases of people falling mysteriously ill, mostly teens and young adults. Their symptoms include difficulty breathing, chest pain, fatigue, and vomiting. Doctors say some patients could end up with permanent lung damage. And last week, one patient in Illinois actually died. Doctors say the common link among all of the cases all the patients had used some kind of vaping product. But what exactly it is about vaping that's causing the problem and which brands are causing it is still unknown. State officials and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention say they're looking into it. Some states say some of the patients inhaled products with THC. That's the chemical in marijuana that makes you high. It's not legal everywhere, but people can buy vaping cartridges with THC on the black market. 
The CDC issued a statement last week encouraging doctors to send them info about these types of cases. And over the last 24 hours, more doctors are speaking out. The top health official in Milwaukee issued a citywide alert yesterday, urging residents to stop vaping. Today, the state says it's investigating 32 cases of lung disease in which patients say they used vaping products. Medical experts in Boston also spoke out, saying the number of people hurt by vaping, both directly and from secondhand vape, are reaching crisis levels. Vaping was already getting national attention before these illnesses, in part because of the harmful effects nicotine can have on young people. Here's Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell a few months ago. Youth vaping is a public health crisis. It's our responsibility as parents and public servants to do everything we can to keep these harmful products out of high schools and out of youth culture. According to the Food and Drug Administration, one in five high schoolers used e-cigarettes last year. And a state attorney in Illinois is suing the e-cigarette company Juul Labs for alleged deceptive marketing aimed at teens. Juul CEO Kevin Burns has called reports of illnesses worrisome, but isn't sure yet that his product is to blame. Juul is the biggest name in the e-cigarette market, but he had a message for non-smokers who are thinking about taking up a new vice. Here he is on CBS This Morning. Don't, don't vape, don't use Juul. Don't start using nicotine if you don't have a pre-existing relationship with nicotine. Don't use the product. You're not our target consumer. So yeah, that happened. Meanwhile, lawmakers are putting the onus on the FDA. This week, Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, where that one patient died, called on the agency to better regulate e-cigarettes. He said the quote, FDA's inaction is alarming and has become dangerous. As fires in the Amazon continue to grab international attention, Brazil's government is calling for a timeout. Environmental experts have been placing a lot of the blame for the fires on farmers who cut down and burn trees for agriculture. And Brazil's president has been seen to favor them over environmental protections. But now, things are different. Today, the president signed a ban on burning fires in the Amazon. It'll prohibit farmers from burning in Brazil for a total of 60 days, with some exceptions, like for approved practices that are healthy for plant life or fires set by indigenous people who farm the land for their own food. Bolsonaro has taken heat from other world leaders for not doing enough to stop the fires. He's been in a war of words with France's president, Emmanuel Macron, over it. After the G7 summit last weekend, Macron announced that the leaders pledged $20 million to help out countries like Brazil fight the Amazon fires. Brazil quickly rebuffed that entire offer on Tuesday. But later, Bolsonaro walked back that rejection, saying, yeah, we'll take that money after all, but only if Brazil's government controls how to spend it. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from Pluto which has always had a bit of an identity problem. Back when it was first discovered in 1930, scientists called Pluto a planet. But in 2006, they were like, no, Pluto, you can't be a planet. You're not as strong as you're supposed to be. Some people felt bad for little Pluto, including NASA's chief, Jim Bridenstine. Here he is last week. 
just so you know, in my view, Pluto is a planet. <laughs> and you can, you can write that the NASA administrator declared Pluto a planet once again. I'm sticking by that. It's the way I learned it, and I'm committed to it. Bridenstine's not a scientist. He was a Navy pilot and a U.S. congressman before he got this job. But now he's reopening the debate about what we should call Pluto. Another option? We could stop trying to define Pluto and just let it be whatever it wants to be. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks for listening and be sure to hit subscribe so we're in your feed every weekday. Also, we love podcast reviews. So if you can, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review Skim This. And if you don't already, sign up for our free morning newsletter, The Daily Skim, by heading over to theskim.com. <laughs>